Well, good morning, everyone. So great being back here at the Sugar Land campus. My name is Tim Homa, and I have the awesome privilege of being the campus pastor over at our Richmond Rosenberg campus. So if we've never met before, hi, I'm Tim. Nice to meet you. Glad that you are all here, especially those of you online. We want to welcome you this morning, wherever you are, around the world, at home, wherever. Thanks for being a part of our community. Special shout out this morning to my campus at Richmond Rosenberg. I'm not there, but we're doing community anyway. So it's good to be here again with all of you. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to a leadership conference. And at that conference, I got to hear some of the best leaders around the world speak on that topic, leadership. And one of the speakers was a pastor from Michigan, and he spoke about this topic, about living life when it's not what we're used to. Living in a space where we've left one area of life and we're on our way to another, but we're in between. We're in that space between, that space that can be barren, can be dry, can be uh, unsettling, it can be interrupted. It's not what we're used to. And so we sat down as a teaching team, Pastor Xavier, Pastor Ender, and I, knowing that we were going to have an opportunity to speak this summer, we wanted to come up with something that we thought would be challenging for all of us to look at. And we came up with this topic of the land between. So what is the land between? For a college student, they've had the joy for the last four, four and a half years being able to answer the question, what do you do for a living? They simply would say, well, I'm an engineering major. I'm a math major. I'm studying psychology. And then that horrible day arrives. Graduation. And right after graduation, they cannot find a job that suits all that they've trained for for all those four years. They have found themselves in the land between. The language of land between is for now. For now, they're living with their parents. For now, they're living and working at the same place that they lived and worked at as a senior in high school. They're in the land between. But it's not just college students. It's real estate agents. A real estate agent lies awake late at night. His kids are asleep, his wife is asleep, and the only number running through his head is the number five. He says, I've only closed on five houses this year. Two years ago, I closed on 26 houses. How long can I continue to borrow from my retirement in order to keep this family afloat? He is in the land between. He's trying to figure out if he needs to get another job, a second job. It's that phone call you receive at 2.30 in the morning. We all know that no good calls come at 2.30 in the morning. And you pick up the phone and at the other end you hear, there's been an accident. We need you at the hospital now. You're thrust into the land between like being tossed out of a moving train. And suddenly you're in the ER wondering what life is gonna be like moving forward. Is a rehabilitation. What's gonna be the timing of all? Maybe there's been a season in your life where you've walked into depression. You've had this dark hanging cloud hanging over you for some time. You don't know how you got into the depression. You don't know how to get out of the depression. You just know that all the time and energy you have placed into praying isn't working. You're in the land between. See, the land between is that place that's interrupted it's a dry, barren place. We just don't know what's happening. It's not normal. It's for now. And many of you, you may have gone through a season like that. Maybe you're in that season right now where you're in the land between. But for certain, you will eventually go into a, a season just like that. It's inevitable. 
But I'll be honest with you, there is a place on a map that we can find ourselves when we're searching for what it looks like to be in the land between. Here it is, it's right here. You are there. It's the Sinai Peninsula. Right there in the middle, that's sand. That's the desert. To the left, that green area on the coast, that's Egypt. That's the Nile Delta. It flourished, it had lakes and streams and rivers. Things grew there. And our story that we're gonna look at today is one of the earliest stories in scripture. It's the story of the Israelites after they have left slavery in Egypt and they're traveling and they are now in the land between because where they're headed is right there up to the right side of that coast, which is the promised land, Canaan, where it flows with milk and honey, right? So they're on their way there, but they're not quite there yet. And if I do my math right, they have been in this season for two years. They're now traveling in the desert two years, and it's not 100 people. It's not 1,000 people. It's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, potentially millions, led by Moses. So we've got to ask the question, what are they eating? It's been two years. What are they eating? I mean, I lived in Las Vegas for 16 years. I had sand in my backyard. Corn and tomatoes and strawberries, all that good stuff that you can grow here does not grow there. You can't grow things in the desert, in that sand. So what are they eating? Well, we know that God sent them some special heavenly bread called Manna, exactly. It came down, landed on the ground, people collected it in the morning, and then they ground it up, use a grinder and do a paste, and then they had some yummy mush in the morning, and then they were able to bake it into a cake, and they ate this for breakfast, and lunch, and dinner. And then the next day, they ate it for breakfast, and lunch, and dinner. And the next day, you getting tired yet? Imagine what they felt like. And they are about to riot. They are tired of it. They are sick of this manna. You know what the word manna actually means? If you do a deep dive into the true meaning of the word manna, it means, what is it? What is it? We're eating it, it's from God, but what is it? And that's what it actually means. And so they're eating this, what is it? And now we're gonna hear in our text and we're gonna look at the book of Numbers, chapter 11. So if you have your Bible, your Bible app, Numbers chapter 11, it's easy to find. It's the fourth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And we're gonna hear a little bit how the people of Israel feel about this manna and what they really truly want. So we're gonna pick up in verse four and I'm gonna give a little context to how they felt. As I read this, you will notice. Beginning in verse four, it says this, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. Oh, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and garlic. Oh, I remember the garlic. Do you remember the garlic? Oh, but now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this, what is it? The noise is growing to mob proportion. So you may think that nothing grows in the desert. You would be wrong. You see, the desert is fertile ground. The land between is fertile ground for complaint. 
It's fertile ground for complaint. And you have to think for a second, you're looking at these people, God is providing them heavenly bread. And I'm a bread lover, okay? I love hot bread. And I'm thinking, God is providing bread. This is awesome. What's wrong with you? Are you a bunch of idiots? Come on, this is good stuff here. What, have you ever been in a position where you've had to eat the same food over and over and over? Have you ever gone through a financial shortage in your life where you said, you know what? It's ramen noodles again. And just today, when you hear the crinkling of that paper on the outside of the ramen noodles, you kind of freak out to the point of nausea. Those of you laughing are going, amen, brother, preach it, preach it. All right, so I'm gonna flash back to my college days. Poor college student, okay, breakfast, Pop-Tarts, okay, that was it. Ate a lot of Pop-Tarts in college. Cub Foods, three boxes for a dollar. Kraft macaroni and cheese. I'm, che I'm a lot more healthy now, it's Annie's. But Kraft macaroni and cheese, right? So, we've all been into a season where the land between makes it tough. But we have to understand that in the context that we're, we're reading about this morning, that instead of watching from above to put ourselves in character, to put us out with them and say, you know what? If I was in their position, I might be complaining too. So I did an experiment. My goal was four days this week. I made two, but I'm just being honest. I decided to eat the same thing, actually drink the same thing for two straight days. I drank Premier Protein for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for two days. My goal was four. Uh-uh, not making it. 600 calories I lived on for two days. Steak tasted great on that third day, I'm just telling you. But I wanted to have a, a, an opportunity to kind of get in character. Because all of us have gone through a season like that. And it's easy then to complain. It's easy then to look at it and say, you know what? This isn't right. I'm tired of this stuff. And their complaint is serious complaint. The Israelites, this isn't just cafeteria complaint. This isn't about the food complaint. This is about their circumstances in life complaint. They are looking at God and saying, you know what? We were better off in Egypt. At least there things grew and we could have different types of food. Even though we were in slavery, we were better off there. And guess what? We were better off without you, God. This is some serious complaint. They're tired of it. They're sick of it. When we're traveling through the land between, it could be very easy for us to complain. Get to the point in your life where you've ever said, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of living with my in-laws. I'm sick of getting to the end of each month, wondering which bill to pay and which bill not to pay. I'm sick of going to visit my mom every week and having her ask me the same question, who are you? I'm sick of staying up late at night wondering where my teenager is. You see, the land between is fertile ground for complaint. It's a place where our, our heart is in danger. Our heart can go to a very dark place. So our leader is who? Moses. Where is he? We've got these potential riots about to take place. We've got this cry for other food and other situations and other comforts. Where is Moses? He's our leader, right? God put him in charge. God put him in charge to lead these people. 
Well, we're gonna read about him next, but you gotta understand something. Moses is cracking. He's falling apart. He's at wit's end, he's done. He's tired of the complaints. He's about ready to throw it all in and say, take me away from this. And so he prays this prayer to God. And it's one of the most honest prayers that you will read throughout scripture. And as I read it in the text, I want you to listen to the pronouns and notice the pronouns, I, me, I, me, I, me. And we pick up his prayer in verse 11 of Numbers chapter 11. Moses says, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you would put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all of these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in the arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to these, to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry these people all by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Notice the childcare analogy here. I love that. Did I conceive these people? Did I give them birth? Am I their mother? You want me to carry this baby across the desert? It's like carrying a Buick across the desert. Moses has gotten to the point of collapse. You see, the land between is fertile ground for complaint, but the land between is also fertile ground for emotional meltdown. Now you may read that and go, really, is he melting down? It just seems like he's complaining. Look at verse 15. Moses says, if this is how you're gonna treat me, God, put me to death right now. I'm done, I'm fried, and this is the responsibility you're putting on my back to carry them as a father carries his kids? No, I don't want it, put me out of my misery, kill me right now. What I love about this text here is that Moses can honestly come to God and vent, to complain, to have a meltdown. God doesn't turn his back on Moses, he listens. And I think that's true of us. I think that when we go through a situation where we're in the land between and we experience an emotional meltdown, that we can honestly come before God and we can vent before God and say, God, I, I, I'm at the breaking point. I can't carry this any further. Moses says, I can't carry, it's too heavy for me. Do you hear any other voices in this? I hear the voices of a couple who have gone from medical test to medical test, month after month with no diagnosis. They go to doctor after doctor, they don't get any information and they're at the breaking point and they're about ready to give it up and they just say, you know what, we can't carry this anymore. This is too heavy for us. This is too much for us to bear. I hear their voice. I hear the voice of a business owner who is trying to lead a company and it's just a shell of its former self. He's had to cut back, cut staff, cut departments. He's doing everything he can. He's taking money out of any means he can to keep his business afloat. And it gets to a point where he just says, this is too much for me. I can't carry this anymore. I'm, I'm trying to hold on and it's slipping through my fingers. I hear his voice. I hear the voice of a man who's been married to a woman for 45 years and she has dementia. And every time they come together, more and more of their memories are gone. He knows that she is his companion on one sense, but on the other sense, she's not so much. And he's doing the best he can to push through, to carry her through the situation. And he just gets to a point where he goes, I can't carry this anymore. 
It's too heavy for me. So how is God gonna treat Moses? I'm really curious to see how in this text he's gonna care for Moses because I'm hoping that how he cares for Moses would be how he would care for us. That if he's gonna respond to Moses tenderly, lovingly, graciously, that he would respond to us in the same way if we're going through an emotional collapse or an emotional meltdown in our life. You remember God appointed Moses to lead the people, right? Moses didn't want the job. He tried to turn the job down and God kept saying, no, Moses, you're my God. So we're in a position here where Moses at his end. And so now God gets a speaking part. And look in verse 16, how God responds to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people and have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand with you. God says, find 70 of the most respected, highly sought after, uh, strongest leaders in the group, bring them to the tent of the meeting. The tent of the meeting simply is the tabernacle. The tabernacle was not a fixed structure, it was a tent, it was a place where people would go to meet with God, and in this situation, it was a place where Moses would go to speak to God, and God would speak to Moses in this tent. So God is calling the, Moses to find 70 leaders to bring them to have a meeting with him Um, at the tent of the meeting. And then in verse 17, God continues. I will come down and speak with you there, Moses, and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you, and I will put it on them. And they will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. I love the fact that God uses the same childcare analogy. You won't have to carry it alone. So bring in the 70. And apparently, Moses had some supernatural spirit that was on him, that God had given him a God endowment of his spirit so that he could lead these millions of people through the desert. And so he takes some of that spirit from Moses and he places it on these 70 leaders. So now we have Moses and 70 mini Moseses. God steps in. He answers in this childcare analogy. I love that. You see, the land between is not only fertile ground for complaint or emotional meltdown, but the land between is also fertile ground for God's provision. And I think God loved providing for Moses. I think he saw the joy in that. I think he loved responding to Moses in a warm, tender, gracious way that he stood in. And I wonder this morning if I asked you, do you think he still likes to do that? Do you still think that God loves to provide Do you still think that he loves to give graciously and warmly? Let me ask you a question. Does God still provide? I think he does. I still think he, I I think he loves to provide. I think he loves to provide to us on a daily basis. I think he has something to provide for you today. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus is walking with his 12 followers and one of them stops Jesus and says, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? We all know this, and Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, how awesome is your name, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Provide for us today what we need in our life today. You have a preschooler at home? God, give me today the patience that I need today. You're dealing with a difficult person in your life? Give me today 
the love that I need today. You're going through extreme grief and heartbreak that's just suffocating your life. God, give me today the joy that I need today. God, give me today the comfort and the peace that I need today because I'm breaking. I'm at that breaking point. And Moses is at that point as well. I don't know how God would provide for you, but I know he loves to. Maybe you're in that season of depression and God takes you out of that depression and you feel like you're finally at a point where you can experience joy again, or maybe you can't get out of that depression, but in one day, God provides for you an encouraging text message, or on another day, an encouraging email, or you show up at church one day and it seems like the message is written directly for you. Maybe you're experiencing a financial shortfall in your life right now. And God steps in and he provides all the financial resources that you need. Or maybe God provides the contentment for you to live with less. That you enter into a season where you don't have the luxuries that you're used to, but you grow content and that you can learn to live with less and experience joy simultaneously. Maybe you're experiencing a season of unemployment and God provides a job. Or maybe God provides you the strength to write five more resumes or make 10 more phone calls. Whatever it is, I still think God loves to provide. There's this great story in the Old Testament. It's the story of Elijah. Many of you know this story. But Elijah spent most of his life trying to change the Israelites' hearts back to God. And he has this moment, this huge moment where he's in competition with 840 prophets of an idol god called Baal, B-A-A-L. It's Elijah and capital G God, our God, versus lower G God and these prophets. And they have this epic battle, and it's not really much of a battle. Elijah and God just wipe off the face of these prophets. They just win. And you would think Elijah would be on cloud nine, that nothing could tear down his confidence in his God and in himself. And then he hears this word come from the queen. Elijah, I'm going to kill you. And he takes off running. And he runs and he runs and he runs and he finds a tree. He's exhausted exhausted, and he gets underneath the tree and he falls asleep. And God sends an angel and I go, here comes the lecture. Like, what are you doing? So the angel shows up and he wakes up Elijah. And Elijah wakes up and right next to Elijah is a jar of water. And right in front of Elijah is hot coals with hot bread being baked on top. Not day-old, week-old thrift store bread. This is like, see it, smell it, the hot stuff. God didn't provide a lecture. He provided what he thought Elijah needed, and that was lunch. But now we gotta get back to our story. We got, you know, the bread, the bread riots of the Sinai Desert about to happen, and these people are crazy, so now how is God gonna provide for these people who are hungry? So let's pick it up in verse 18. <clears throat> They want meat, here's God's provision. God says, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you cried, if only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt now. The Lord will give you meat to eat and you will eat it. You will not eat it just for one day or two days or five days, 10 or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils. And you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Yep, 
Right there in my Bible, maybe your Bible, it says the meat will come out of their noses. God provides, but it's going to come with a price. See what I see here now, the people are in trouble. It's just not about the food. It's about their complaint. It's about their circumstances that they're complaining about. It's not about their food they're eating. It's about the fact that they still thought they were better off in Egypt, still better off in slavery, still better off without him. This is the ugly part of the story. The people are now in trouble. See, the land between is fertile ground for complaint. It's fertile ground for emotional meltdown. It's fertile ground for God's provision. But the land between is also fertile ground for God's discipline. Moses hears meat for a month and he goes, whoa, 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 God, hang on a second. If we grilled up all the sheep, barbecued all the goats, and I took all the, fi the fishing nets that we had and went to the Red Sea and went to the Mediterranean and got all those fish and brought them here for a month, I could not feed them meat. This is not 100 people. This is millions of people, God. I love God's answer. Look what God says in verse 23. The Lord answers Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? You're thinking meat for a month is too much for me? God's saying, Moses, are you questioning my compassion or are you questioning my capability? And maybe that's why God brought you here this morning, so that you would hear that simple phrase in scripture, is the, is the Lord's arm too short? Is God not capable to care for you in your time of need. So what happens? We experience the mother load of quail migrations. Quail from all over, quail, that little, little meaty bird, come in from all directions on the wind. The people, the Israelites, wake up the next morning, they're three feet deep in quail as far as the eyes can see. God has stepped in in a huge way, right? And so now each person could collect, they say, up to 10 bushels of quail. And they go to town. They just start killing these birds and eat these birds up. They're hungry. And scripture says that while there was meat still in their teeth, God killed some of the people. Which leads to two interesting things. One, the uncomfortable topic of God's discipline. And two, you've got a great story to share at dinner time with your kids. Hey, don't complain about your vegetables. Daddy read a Bible story and God provided meat and then he killed some of the people. Just wanted you to know, eat your vegetables. We all know that good, appropriate, loving, timely discipline from a caring, loving parent is necessary. It's discipline for a redemptive purpose. It's discipline that brings pain for a redemptive purpose. It's not pain for pain's sake. Loving, timely, caring discipline that comes from a loving parent is necessary to help us grow in our relationship with our parents. So why would we, why would we be naive to think that God is our loving father wouldn't come down when we have turned our back on him, when we have put our finger up and said, we were better off without you, God. We were better off in this situation when we're in the land between. We would be naive to believe that, that God wouldn't come back and do something to discipline us, to move us back, to correct us. 
That's what a loving God would do. When we're in the land between and we're shaking our finger at God or wishing we were at a better place or a different place that we came from, God says, I love you too much to leave you there. I, I, I need to make certain you understand why you're here and our relationship can grow and move. And that leads me to my final point. See, the land between is fertile ground for complaint, for emotional meltdown, for God's provision, for God's discipline. But the land between is fertile ground for transformational growth. Do you remember the map that we had on the screen earlier? The Israelites left Egypt not as people singing kumbaya. They weren't fully devoted followers of God. They weren't walking out orderly saying, we can't wait to find Jesus and God in the desert. We can't wait to know his spirit. We don't. No, they left as a disorderly bunch of ex-slaves who had been indoctrinated generation after generation after generation into Egyptian idol worship. God needed them to travel through this season, to be in the land between, to teach them how to trust him. When they ran out of food, they would trust that he would provide. When they ran out of water, that they would turn to God and say, God, you will provide. They needed that season in the desert. They needed to be in the land between in order to grow in their relationship with God. God needed to meet them. He needed to change them from ex-slaves into the people of God. Trust is the glue for every relationship so that when they did enter the promised land, and they ran out of food or they ran out of water, they wouldn't turn back to the Egyptian idols or the Phoenician gods. They would say, God, our God, the God who walked with us through the land between, who brought us to this point, we allowed us to grow in our relationship with him, is gonna provide. I have some friends, They're, um, they live in California, their names are Dave and Deb, they're dear friends of my wife and I. And last month, on June 8th, their 24-year-old son was found dead in his home. He had died of a brain aneurysm. He had been married to his wife, Maddie, for a year and a half at the time. And Maddie gave birth on July 4th to their first child, a daughter, a little baby girl named Kinsley. And Dave and Deb were thrust into the land between. They went through a season and continued in that season of complaint Emotional meltdown after emotional meltdown after emotional meltdown. But for them in this season, their transformational growth has been about surrender. Davis shared with me that he has never had to surrender anything more than his complete life to God and trust God's complete will. And he said, there are days that I am so discouraged, my heart is broken, I don't know how I'm gonna get through, but God provides what I need for each moment that I go through that God's providing the things that I need for today because I don't know how I'm gonna make it through today. And the land between for him is the place where he's experiencing his emotional and transformational growth in God. And him and his wife are taking it one day at a time. And that's my encouragement to you. If you're in the land between today, you gotta understand that the desert is a greenhouse for your spiritual transformation but it also can be a place where your faith goes to die. You have the choice. 
you get to decide. See, this story this morning from Scripture teaches us that the, the terrain that we most despise can produce the fruit we most desperately want. The space we hate, that's where God is at his best. That's where God provides his power, provides what we need, and his provision is always perfect. Would you bow your heads with me? May God bless you in the land between. May he restore your laughter and your joy. May you come to him with open hands to release what you have been carrying for way too long. And may you keep your hands open to receive any good thing he would give. May you find God faithful and loving and good. May this be a greenhouse for your growth. May you find God faithful and true in the land between. Amen.